How did it come to this? Satine Kreez stares through a glowing green force field that separates her from the freedom of the outside world. Her world, the planet of Mandalore. As the leaders of the new Mandalorians, she urged her people to break with Mandalore's warlike traditions and to become a civilization built upon peace. She had seen the effects of war, a brutal civil war, and committed her life to unearthing the idyllic possibilities of a world without violence. Only hours ago, she was the Duchess of Mandalore. Now she is a prisoner in the city she ruled. The cell in which she's kept is a tiny one, and except for the slab-like bed on which she sits, there is nothing around her. She realizes it's been a while since the guards, or anyone for that matter, walked by her cell door, that glowing green force field that hums just enough to keep her aware of it. She can see the green glow from other cells, but cannot see who is in them. The quiet is beginning to eat away at her. Satine looks around at the stark, whitish-blue walls that seem to be growing closer, but she closes her eyes and breathes, ignoring her rampant imagination. She is powerless now, and her mind begins to race. It started with the Death Watch, a group of traditionalists still holding on to the militant ways of the original Mandalorians. Initially, she didn't take their threats or their attacks on the city seriously, thinking they were some fringe group with very little power or direction. But the Death Watch had a leader lurking in the shadows, Pre Vizsla. He was the governor of a nearby moon of Concordia, waiting to strike. He even offered to help her track down the Death Watch, which was only a way to draw close to her so he could ensnare her when the time was right. Pre Visla had been planning to remove Satine from power for a long time. It was Obi-Wan Kenobi who came to her aid, and who fought Pre Visla when he finally revealed himself and flaunted Death Watch's true intentions. Maybe Visla did that because he expected her and Obi-Wan to die that night, but he certainly underestimated both of them. And Obi-Wan is Obi-Wan. He always seemed to find his way back into her life, usually at the times she needed him the most. A flurry of memories floods Satine's mind, and in each one, the two of them are side by side, whether fighting or fleeing from those evil monsters pursuing them, flying across the galaxy, or hiding out among throngs of dwellers in cities and in cantinas whose names she can barely remember. Of everyone she knows, she misses him the most. What she wouldn't give to see him on the other side of that cell now, ready to break her out. And they'd fight side by side again against the Death Watch, and they'd reclaim Mandalore for the Peacekeepers, restoring order to the city, even in the midst of a clone war. But it's too late. Previsla set her up and turned her people against her. He aligned himself somehow with Maul, the Sith Lord who killed Obi-Wan's master Qui-Gon Jinn. The details are fuzzy for her, but she knows that the two of them orchestrated a plan in which criminal groups from other systems attacked Mandalore's capital, Sundari, and Visla and the Death Watch swept in as saviors to stop them. But it was all an elaborate act. She remembers addressing the immense crowd of the Mandalorian people, trying desperately to quell their fears after the attacks, and then how Pre Visla appeared and announced that Death Watch would save them. And she tried to warn them about Visla's true intentions, 
But by then, it was too late. Visla and his army pretended to eradicate the threats that he and Maul had set up in the first place, and the people of Mandalore welcomed the Death Watch with open arms. She had even heard that Pre Visla told her people she had fled out of fear after the attacks, like she would ever turn her back on them. But here she is, alone and locked away, while Visla destroys what she and many others worked so hard to build. And now, with the Darksaber firmly in his grip, Pre Visla will try to take control of Mandalore, and the bloodshed that will be spilled at his feet will be unthinkable. That is, unless Maul and some of the other evil ones working with him try to seize the saber by force and rule Mandalore themselves. The worst part? It wasn't Vizsla's deception or the countless atrocities caused by the Death Watch up to this point. It was the fact that her own sister, Bo-Katan Kryz, had pledged her allegiance to the Death Watch's cause. Bo-Katan and her group of elite Mandalorian warriors known as the Night Owls joined Pre Vizsla with the goal of restoring Mandalore to its militant, warlike ways. And this civil war that began so many years ago split her family apart, leaving her with an enemy for a sister. And it breaks a teen's heart to think of the years she missed knowing her, and what they could have done together in the name of Mandalore. Satine hears the footsteps of someone approaching her cell. She knows what is to come, another round of interrogation that leads nowhere, something more to break her spirit than any true questioning. Maybe they found one of her council members who fled earlier and will torture them in front of her to get the locations and names of those who still have influence. Or maybe the footsteps stop. Satine tenses, almost closing her eyes, and from the shadows, her nephew Corky appears. He opens the door and smiles at her. She has been rescued. The two of them peek around the corner of her cell and begin to run, but they are noticed by a Mandalorian prison guard. He aims his weapon at Satine, but is struck in the chest by a blaster bolt that appears out of nowhere. Satine and Corky turn around to see the guard crumple to the floor, and when they turn around to trace the trajectory of the blaster shot, Satine finds herself face to face with one of the elite Night Owl warriors of Death Watch. The soldier removes her helmet. It is Satine's sister, Bo-Katan. Satine doesn't know what to say. Oh, it's been a long time. It's okay, Auntie. She's on our side now. Why are you helping now? The enemy of my enemy is my friend. There was a time when we weren't enemies. Perhaps that time has come again. Come on, let's go. This is not the last time someone will break Satine out of prison that day. But this is a story crucial to her own. This is the epic tale of the Darksaber, the blade forged by a Mandalorian centuries ago. This is its history, as told through the Star Wars animated series The Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels, the comic book miniseries Son of Dathomir, and finally the live-action show The Mandalorian. This is a look at the lives it affected, the fates of those who wielded it and fought against it, and how it finally wound up in the hands of the mysterious Moff Gideon. This is part two of one of the greatest Star Wars stories ever told. And this is Star Wars, 
Prototypes and Production. Without an army of her own, and with many of her most trusted allies either dead or imprisoned, Satine desperately needed help. And she needed to contact the Jedi Council to come to her aid and stop the Death Watch from destroying the Mandalore she knew. She needed to get a message to Obi-Wan Kenobi. But there was little time. The Death Watch were alerted to her escape from prison immediately, and pursued her and her friends as they flew through the city on speeders. As Bo-Katan fired at Maul's Mandalorian super commandos chasing them, Corky had alerted her that their lines of communication were jammed, and they would need to reach an area outside of the city in order to get a signal and make contact with Kenobi. Once they cleared the city limits, the super commandos closed in on Satine. With only seconds to spare, she sent a recorded message to Obi-Wan, telling him she had been removed from power and that former Prime Minister Almec had taken over the capital Sundari. You're clear. This is a message for Obi-Wan Kenobi. I've lost Mandalore. My people have been massacred. Obi-Wan, I need your help. Bo-Katan and the Night Owls were able to evade Maul's super commandos, but Satine was again taken prisoner. As she returned to her cell, her hope for rescue was fading. After viewing Satine's message, Obi-Wan borrowed Anakin's ship and flew to Mandalore to save her. He did not know the details of what had happened, as Satine's message was cut off by some type of Mandalorian army, but he assumed Death Watch and their crime syndicate allies were behind this coup. However, as Yoda and Ki Adimundi informed him, under Satine, Mandalore declared itself a neutral system in the battle between the Republic and the Separatists, and therefore the Jedi Council could not interfere in matters in which the Separatists were not involved. Obi-Wan knew if he were going to save Satine, he had to do it alone. Maul also knew this. To his credit, Maul's ability to see the far scope of a plan allowed him to stay one step ahead of his adversaries. It's what helped him to defeat Pre Vizsla, and soon it would lead Kenobi right to him. Maul allowed Satine to escape so she would contact Kenobi and he knew that the Jedi Council could not get involved in the events occurring on Mandalore. And so, Maul's trap was set. And now, he would simply wait for the Jedi's arrival. 
dressed in the red and gray Mandalorian armor, matching one of Maul's super commandos, Obi-Wan entered the prison and walked through the halls until he came upon Satine's cell. She sat on the floor with her back to the door. Here to do more of your master's bidding? I do my own bidding. Obi-Wan! Are you alone? Yes. The Jedi Council and Galactic Senate will be of no help to us here. I trust you have an escape plan, then. As always, my dear. But as they returned to Obi-Wan's ship, droves of Maul's Mandalorians appeared and began to fire at them. We have to contact my sister for help. She'll send reinforcements. Who's your sister? Maul, Savage Opress, and Almec also arrived to watch Maul's plan to capture Obi-Wan unfold. At Maul's command, two of his supercommandos fired their jetpack rockets at the Jedi's ascending ship. Brace yourself! Obi-Wan was able to save himself and Satine as the remnants of the downed ship scattered in an explosion around them, but they were weakened and exposed. No. It can't be. Maul revealed himself to his greatest enemy, lifting him up with the Force and pulling Obi-Wan toward him, catching the Jedi by the neck. We meet again, Kenobi. Welcome to my world. Take them back to the palace. Obi-Wan was brought into Satine's former throne room to see Maul perched upon his throne, with Satine kneeling defenselessly beside him. The guards holding Obi-Wan knocked the Jedi to his knees in front of Maul, and using the Force, the Sith Lord lifted Satine into the air behind him, choking her while he spoke. It was I who languished for years, thinking of nothing but you, nothing but this moment. And now... The perfect tool for my vengeance is in front of us. I never planned on killing you, but I will make you share my pain, Kenobi. And igniting the Darksaber, Maul pulls the teen to him, impaling her on his glowing blade. Obi-Wan rushed toward the woman he loved and held her in his arms as the life faded from her eyes. Maul sat back down on his throne, smiling over his victory. Remember, my dear Obi-Wan, I've loved you always. I always will. Now, brother. No. Imprison him below. Let him drown in his misery. Take him to his cell to rot.
Maul did not kill Kenobi. For locking him up and letting him live with both the loss of the one he loved and with the knowledge that he was responsible for her death is a fate far worse than dying at the hands of his enemy. But this moment may just be the most defining one in Obi-Wan Kenobi's life. Not for what he lost, but for what he gained. For Obi-Wan did not carry the same anger and need for vengeance that Maul possessed. In what had to be one of the toughest trials he's ever faced, you can feel the teachings of his mentors and the words of those who trained him rise within him to quell the hatred he would have for Maul after the Darksaber struck Satine. In that moment, all of the lessons Qui-Gon Jinn taught him throughout their many years together came rushing back about embracing the light side and not giving in to hate that would lead to destruction, but to truly embrace the healing and restorative power of love, and the wisdom of Yoda, whose many centuries of experience provided a solid foundation and guide markers during Obi-Wan's younger years. And Obi-Wan took those lessons to heart, for in order to teach them to his apprentice Anakin Skywalker, he had to know them and live them himself first. He had seen what giving into anger did to others, and how it turned some and destroyed them over time. He knew the depths of Maul's obsessive vengeance, and that it would one day destroy him, too. But he felt compassion for Maul. Right before Maul killed Satine, Obi-Wan told him that he knew Maul did not choose the dark side, and was taken from his home as a child. He was given the mantle of evil before he ever chose that evil. Obi-Wan, Maul's greatest enemy, was also the last light of hope for the Sith Lord. But Obi-Wan also told him that those who embraced the light side of the Force would always be stronger than those drawn to the dark side. And Obi-Wan's resistance to seek vengeance and to kill Maul in those moments after Satine breathed her final breath is what ultimately saves him. Because years later, Obi-Wan eventually defeats and comforts a broken and dying Maul in the desert of Tatooine. He accepts his role designated by the Force to watch over Anakin's infant son Luke until the boy is of age to begin his training against an empire slowly consuming a galaxy. And he sacrifices his life and gives himself to the Force during the battle with his former apprentice, Anakin Skywalker turned Darth Vader, once he sees the hope of the light side in the form of Luke and Leia, together again for the first time since their birth. Those are the first steps toward the destruction of the Empire and its Emperor, and in bringing balance to the Force. And it is here, as he clutches the fading Duchess, that he decides who he is and what he will become which at its core is hope, and it is powered by the love of Satine Kreese, Duchess of Mandalore. Bo-Katan and the Night Owls may have escaped Maul's super-commandos, but they did not flee. Instead, they hid within the city, planning a second attempt at Satine's rescue. But Bo-Katan witnessed Obi-Wan's ship touching down on a dock within Sundari, and the Jedi's determination to come to the Duchess's aid. 
and she watched from her perch as he was delivered by Maul's Mandalorians to the prison, alone, and what that meant. Giving the rest of the Night Owls and Rebel Mandalorians a nod, they disarmed the guards and set Obi-Wan free. Sorry, I don't believe we've met. You are... Bo-Katan. I'm here to rescue you. That's all you need to know. Sounds good to me. Together, Bo-Katan and her soldiers and Obi-Wan raced to a hangar within the city. The second civil war of that era had begun, with those who opposed Maul's control over the Darksaber and Mandalore fighting those who supported him. As the hangar doors opened, Obi-Wan witnessed a relentless battle between the Mandalorians as laser blasts, smoke, and explosions suffocated the scene in front of him. A ship lowered from the heavens, and as Obi-Wan ran up its descending ramp, Bo-Katan stopped and called to him. Go back to your Republic and tell them what has happened. That would likely lead to a Republic invasion of Mandalore. Yes, and Maul will die. But Mandalore will survive. We always survive. Now go. Your Satine's sister, aren't you? I'm so sorry. Meanwhile, Darth Sidious, the supreme Sith Lord disguised as Republic leader Chancellor Palpatine, sensed Maul's presence. He could feel his former apprentice's power growing, and he flew to Mandalore to end it. Hmm, I sense a presence. A presence I haven't felt since. Master. Entering Maul's throne room, Sidious ignited two red lightsabers and took on Maul and his brother Savage at the same time. Throwing Maul up against a wall in the courtyard of the building, Sidious honed in on Savage. He overpowered him, knocking him off balance, and then charged at him, impaling the creature with both blades. Maul watched Savage die and felt the hate rise within him against his former master. Remember, the first and only reality of the Sith. There can only be two. And you are no longer my apprentice. You have been replaced. Maul ignited his saber and the dark saber and attacked Sidious with all of his might and fury. But Sidious was too powerful for Maul and disarmed him quickly. Using the Force, Sidious sent Maul careening into the side of the building and then brought him back in front of him, where he lay helpless at Sidious' feet. Have mercy. Please, please. There is no mercy. Do not worry. I'm not going to kill you. I have other uses for you. In 2013, shortly after Season 5 of the Clone Wars series concluded, Lucasfilm announced that it would release a truncated Season 6 consisting of previously completed episodes along with the entire series as it migrated to Netflix. Disney's purchase of Lucasfilm and the Star Wars franchise at the end of 2012 signaled the abrupt end of the television series. 
The cancellation left many story arcs, like the Maul and Mandalore one and the history of the Darksaber, in limbo. However, fortunately for Star Wars fans, the story of Maul and the Darksaber would continue in August 2014, but in a more traditional medium. The Dark Horse Comics imprint released a four-part comic miniseries titled Son of Dathomir. Son of Dathomir, a title referencing Maul and his birthplace, picked up where Season 5 of the television series ended, with Sidious imprisoning Maul in a secret center on the planet Stygian. Sidious had his current apprentice, Count Dooku, interrogate and torture Maul in order to locate the Dathomirian witch and leader of the Sisters, Mother Talzin. When Maul was a child, Mother Talzin reluctantly sent him away to Sidious to become his apprentice. And years later, using her powers, she restored Maul's legs and his sanity and transformed Savage Opress into a monstrous beast capable of taking on the Jedi as well as the Sith. Talzin had the ability to create and protect warriors who could topple Sidious's reign, and she was now a threat to his plan of ruling an empire as a Sith master. As a threat, she needed to be eliminated before he could continue his crusade to destroy the Republic from the inside. And so, Sidious aimed to disrupt the power base Maul had set up among his army of underworld crime syndicates loyal to him. And then, Maul would eventually lead Sidious to Mother Talzin. But Maul's army of Mandalorian warriors was loyal, and they sprung him from the prison on Stygian. Rook Cast and Gar Saxon, leaders of Maul's supercommandos, extracted their ruler and brought him to the planet of Xanbar to rendezvous with their remaining forces. Once Maul was reunited with his army, he was told that the Black Sun and Pike syndicates were still under his command, and Gar Saxon presented him with the Darksaber. But General Grievous and his troops followed Maul to Xanbar and attacked him. Maul and his Mandalorians fled Xanbar, but both sides experienced extensive losses to their forces. This was all part of Sidious's plan to expose the location of Mother Talzin and to leave her vulnerable to an attack. In the second issue of the comic, Maul contacted Mother Talzin for guidance. She appeared to Maul in spirit form, using the power of witchcraft. Talzin anticipated Sidious's plan to lead him to her, and sent Maul to the planet Ord Mantell to meet up with the Pike Syndicate for protection. The time was not right for Talzin to reveal herself just yet, but she promised to send aid in the form of an army from Dathomir. Grievous and Count Dooku stayed on Maul's trail, following him to Ord Mantell. When Grievous questioned why defeating Mother Talzin was integral to Sidious's plot, Dooku replied, Talzin is an older and fouler creature than you'd guess, General. Her power runs deep. Her teachings, her magic, were sought out by my master. They were once allies. Now meddling could compromise all of our designs. She must be destroyed. Meanwhile, on Ord Mantell, a transport ship from Dathomir delivered an army to Maul. Brother Viscus and a troop of Dathomirian warriors known as Night Brothers arrived to fight alongside Maul. 
The Knight Brothers were Zabrak males under Mother Talzin's rule, and both Maul and Savage were members of this clan. And they had arrived just in time. Grievous and his fleet emerged from hyperspace to unleash an air assault on Maul and his army. The cyborg general sent his droids to land on Ord Mantell and to destroy everything in sight until they located Maul and Mother Talzin. But Maul had set a trap for them. He and his Mandalorians attacked Grievous's unguarded ship in space. On the planet's surface below, the Knight Brothers fought against Dooku and his Magna Guards. And as the droids surrounded and captured Maul's ground forces, Maul boarded Grievous's ship. Holding the blade of the Darksaber to Grievous's neck, he ordered him to shut down the droid army on Ord Mantell. Without the droid army, Count Dooku was outnumbered and was captured by the Mandalorians. With Grievous and Dooku as Maul's prisoners, the tide of the battle began to turn. Maul contacted Mother Talzin. She congratulated him, saying, Soon Sidious will follow, and together we will have our revenge. Issue 3 of Son of Dathomir opens on Coruscant, in the chamber of Chancellor Palpatine. The Sith Lord in disguise announced that Darth Maul, the enemy long believed to be dead, has returned, and was last seen fighting Separatist leader Count Dooku on Ord Mantell. Mace Windu and the Jedi Council saw this as an opportunity to send their forces to the system to defeat both Sith threats, which could finally end the Clone War. However, Sidious as Palpatine was controlling both sides of the war and sent the Jedi to remove any threats associated with Maul. Upon finding a Mandalorian warrior's helmet on Ord Mantell, the Jedi believed Prime Minister Almec was working with the underworld crime syndicates, like the Black Sun, and followed a lead to a Mandalorian supply outpost within the system in search of Maul. Meanwhile, Maul informed his former master that he had captured Count Dooku and Grievous, and that Sidious's plan was unraveling. Sidious warned Maul that this would not end well for him and Mother Talzin. After locking Grievous in one of his ship's cells, Maul appealed to Dooku to join him in destroying Sidious. After all, Sidious will likely dispose of Dooku when he is through using him, Maul claimed. And now, with the combined strength of Maul, Dooku, and Talzin, they could finally take down the Sith Master once and for all. The spirit of Talzin appeared to Dooku seemingly out of Maul, and warned the Count that Sidious would betray him like he did to her and Maul, her son. She described how Sidious snatched Maul from her when he was a boy, and how he left him to die after the Battle of Naboo many years ago, and she warned that he would do the same to Dooku as well. Before Dooku was able to answer, Gar Saxon stormed into the room and informed Maul that the Jedi had found their ships and were boarding them. And while Maul and his soldiers were distracted, the handcuffed Count used the Force to open the cell door containing Grievous, knowing they would need to be prepared for a battle. Followed by a team of clone troopers, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Jedi Master Tipley led the attack against Maul's army. Grievous climbed into an escape pod and fled the ship. As the Jedi and the clones approached Maul, Dooku, and the Mandalorians, Dooku agreed to join Maul as his ally, saying, Let's go kill some Jedi together. 
Armed with his red-bladed saber, he fought alongside Maul, who brandished the dark saber. Mace Windu and Aayla Secura joined in the skirmish, and the Mandalorian warriors fired rockets at the Jedi, giving Maul and Dooku enough time to escape. As the clones rounded up the remaining Mandalorian super commandos, Mace Windu reported the events of the battle to Chancellor Palpatine. He explained that Maul and Dooku were working together, and that they could be the master-apprentice-Sith duo they had been seeking. This misdirection was again part of Sidious's plan. With the Jedi focused on Maul and Dooku, he was free to continue to undermine the Republic from within the Senate. The final issue of Son of Dathomir begins with Maul revealing to Dooku that he knew their alliance was part of Sidious's plan all along, and that Dooku eventually would have betrayed him. But Maul needed Dooku to restore Mother Talzin to her physical form. They flew to Dathomir, Maul's home world. There, with the assistance of the Knight Brothers, Maul called upon the spirit of Talzin to enter Count Dooku's body and to drain what she needed from him in order to appear as a physical creature again. But Grievous had once again tracked down Maul, following him to Dathomir, exactly as Sidious had intended. The plan against Talzin was entering its final phase, and this time Sidious joined Grievous to make sure the witch was eliminated. As Mother Talzin materialized in front of Maul, Sidious and Grievous blasted a hole through the wall in the room. Maul barked at Sidious, telling him he was too late, but Sidious corrected him. No matter how many times you fail, you never learn this lesson, Maul, he told his former apprentice. There is only one plan, one great design which shall govern the universe. Mine. The newly resurrected Talzin stood in front of Maul, shielding him from Sidious, and unleashing lightning bolts of magic from her hands at the Sith Master. Sidious responded in kind, sending force lightning from his hands at her. Dooku regained consciousness and joined Sidious, shooting lightning at Talzin as well. As Talzin protected her son, Rook Cast and Gar Saxon appeared in a Mandalorian ship to take Maul to safety. She told him that it was too late for her, and using her power, she pushed him away from her and onto the ramp of the ship. Maul watched as Grievous approached Talzin, unfazed by the magic force shield she had created around her to protect herself from Sidious's lightning. He ignited his lightsabers and struck down the witch, killing her. Maul and his Mandalorians fled Dathomir for good. Dooku apologized to his master for letting Maul escape again. But to Sidious, the outcome was exactly what he intended. Everything happened as foreseen, he said to Dooku. This was a difficult piece to maneuver, but now it is in place. Maul's future has been erased, while ours is more certain than it has ever been. And the Darksaber would remain on Dathomir for more than 15 years until it would be claimed again. Here's Killian Plunkett on the state of Mandalore during that time. Due to too many loyalties and too much infighting, there was this sort of catastrophic civil war. 
a sort of resulting fractured society has led to different sort of factions within what used to all be Mandalore. And that's kind of where we're at by the time we get to Rebels. In Season 3 of the animated series Star Wars Rebels, the Darksaber turned up again, more than a decade and a half after the end of the Clone Wars. Three members of the Rebels crew, Kanan Jarrus, a Jedi Knight who survived Sidious's Purge of the Jedi, his Force-sensitive apprentice Ezra Bridger, and Mandalorian warrior Sabine Wren discovered it in a former Sister lair on the planet of Dathomir. Maul had used the lair as a trophy room of sorts, filled with remnants from when he ruled Mandalore. Under a painting of Satine that once hung in her throne room sat the saber that killed her. Sabine recognized the dark saber by its hilt and its Mandalorian design. But her connection to Mandalore and to her family is a complicated one. In her youth, she attended the Imperial Academy of Mandalore as a cadet, building weapons for the Empire. She believed the weapons would be used to ensure peace on Mandalore, but they were used against her own people. Sabine spoke against the Empire and protested their treatment of the Mandalorians, but her revolt caused her father to be taken hostage, and her mother and brother were forced to pledge their loyalty to the Empire. Sabine fled from her family and from her home planet, exiled and forced to fend for herself. After a few years of running from the Empire, she met the Rebels crew and was taken in by Kanan Jarrus and Hera Syndulla. Along with Hera and Kanan and a droid named Chopper and a tall purple creature named Zeb, Sabine raided Imperial outposts for supplies and rations to deliver to those in need. While she couldn't fix the damage she had caused to her family and to Mandalore, she aimed to do what she could for those around her. Sabine brought the Darksaber with her when the Rebels' crew returned from Dathomir, but she wanted nothing to do with it. Her mother, Ursa Wren, served as a Night Owl warrior under Bo-Katan, and had been a member of Pre Vizsla's Death Watch. She was also part of the team that renounced the Death Watch after Maul took over, and she was part of Bo-Katan's team to free Obi-Wan Kenobi after Satine's death and she eventually helped to rid Mandalore of Gar Saxon and Maul's army of super-commandos during the civil war that took place in seasons 5 and 7 of the Clone Wars series. And Sabine knew from Mandalorian tradition that the one who possessed the Darksaber led Mandalore. The rebels needed an army if they were going to continue to fight the Empire, and having the Mandalorians on their side would definitely help to change the tide of the war. But Sabine was no leader. She was despised by her own people, by her own family, and after the shame she brought to them, they'd never welcome her back into Clan Wren. Kanan and Fen Rao, a Mandalorian warrior who originally fought for the Empire but defected to join our rebels, hoped to convince Sabine to unite her people again through the Darksaber and to encourage them to become part of the Rebellion. I won't do it. So you do know what the Darksaber is? I know it caused my family nothing but trouble after Maul took it. Maul used it to divide and conquer our people. You can wield it to do the opposite. Wield it? You're crazy! Kanan, tell him he's crazy. Consider what he has to say. What? I don't think it's a coincidence this saber came into your possession. Yeah, but Kanan, that doesn't mean she can fight with it. No offense. Go on. What I mean is, look, 
It's taken me a while to learn, and, I mean, I use the Force. She might not be able to fight like a Jedi, but she can learn to be proficient with the blade. I am proficient with many types of blades, and blasters, and explosives, but that is a lightsaber. The combat training is not as important as what that blade represents. Right, right. You want me to lead my clan. I don't know if you realize this, but I'm not that popular with my family these days. That can change. No, it can't. You don't know what you're talking about. I know that family is important to the Wrens, just like it is to all Mandalorians. I have a family, here, on this ship. I don't need them. But we do. If there's a chance that you can rally an army of Mandalorian warriors to our cause, I have to ask you to do it. Hera. Family history can be painful. Believe me, I know. But we can use those warriors for our attack on Lothal. Hera's right. We need to ask you to do this, but that doesn't mean you have to. You can walk away and forget about it. <sighs> All right, I'll do it. Give me the saber. Listen, once people know you have it, you will be challenged. And you need to be able to defend yourself. Okay, I'll try my best. First lesson, don't try. Just learn. Give me the sword. I'm gonna learn how to kick your- Sabine. Okay. And over the next few days, Kanan taught Sabine to use the Darksaber. Initially, he held back, only training her with a long stick, for fear that she would hurt herself with a real lightsaber. But Hera convinced Kanan to trust her with the Darksaber, that the only way Sabine would be able to wield it as a leader was if he had faith in her, and if she believed she could do it. And Kanan had to find a way to get Sabine to face her past and to come to terms with it. Under Kanan's supervision, Sabine ignited the saber for the first time. Ignite the blade. Oh. It's heavier than I thought. Energy constantly flows through the crystal. You're not fighting with a simple blade as much as you are directing a current of power. Your thoughts, your actions, they become energy. They flow through the crystal as well and become a part of the blade. The blades will be drawn to each other. Block high! There's pull. Can you feel it? That sword is old, heavy, but powerful. Respect its strength. As they practiced more, Sabine began to notice a change in the saber. The blade feels lighter. You're connecting with it. It's becoming a part of you. You cannot rely solely on the blade. You must use all your skills together. Ready position. You'll have to do better. And Kanan knew that unless Sabine dealt with the truth about who she was and about her family, she would never be able to unlock her true potential as a leader of her clan. Using the instincts of a Jedi, he brought her to her breaking point by prodding and testing her, until that truth within her finally rose to the surface. 
You did run, didn't you? No! But that's what your people believe, isn't it? You ran from the Empire, you ran from your family. Lies! So what's the truth? Truth is it? I left to save everyone. My mother! My father! My brother! Everything I did was for family! For Mandalore! I built weapons! Terrible weapons! But the Empire used them on Mandalore! On friends! On family! People that I knew! They controlled us through fear! <laughs> Mandalore! Fear of weapons I helped create! I helped enslave my people! I wanted to stop it. I had to stop it. I spoke out. I spoke out to save them. To save everyone! But when I did... My family didn't stand with me. They chose the Empire. They left me. Gave me no choice. The Empire wanted to destroy worlds, and they did. They destroyed mine. <laughs> the Empire rules with fear, and not everyone can be as strong as you've been. Your family is in a prison, one of their own making. It's up to you to help them out of it. And Kanan, Ezra, and Fen Rao knelt before her in the same manner as the Mandalorian warriors did when Maul defeated Pre Vizsla in combat. For by conquering the demons that held her down for so long, she was able to take possession of the Darksaber. But how? Why? Why would they believe me? Why would they follow me? I know this might not be what you want to hear, but for what it's worth... I would follow you. So would I. And I mean it. You've come a long way in a very short time. Where you go from here is up to you. But no, this family will stand by you no matter what you choose. And here's Dave Filoni on the importance of this episode. I wanted to impress on everybody the importance of Sabine training with a lightsaber that was going to be difficult for her. So I wanted to spend the entire episode on that. If we tell the story the right way, we don't need a secondary little plot here. It's not important. Like the whole thing should be about her training. And it's not about her learning to fight with a sword. It's about her being a character and a person that has feelings and emotion and depth and dimension. And all of those things drive her forward or pull her back and stop her. Sabine may possess the Darksaber, but this is far from the end of the story. As we draw closer to the events that take place in the series The Mandalorian, there are still a few twists and turns for the Blade, and for Star Wars fans. Stay tuned for part three to find out where it goes next and how it eventually winds up in the hands of Moff Gideon.